1: This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Yes, you are. Welcome to HR Trends with Game Changers. Today's buzz, work and health. Ooh, do you think they go together? Maybe not so much. So stay tuned for the next 58 minutes and maybe we'll help you figure out how to make them work together. Those two words. So let's get started. Some people call it work-life balance. Others like to say work-life integration. Some people say work-life, that's my life. What can I tell you? So wordsmithing aside, how can you stay, and I'm going to give you a list of things to aspire to, calm, centered, productive, and happy in our 24-7, very globalized work environment? We know there are constant distractions. There are ambiguities in the power hierarchies in any size company. There are I need it now, I need it yesterday, deadlines, darn it. And still, you need to have time and energy for your family your home your friends relaxation and what is that five letter word oh it's sleep uh huh well help don't don't give up help may be closer than you think i have a panel of experts who are prepared to help us Figure this one out and wait till you hear who they are. Let's go. First up on the panel is Jeremy Hunter, Ph.D. He's the creator and teacher of The Executive Mind. It's a series of executive education courses dedicated to Peter Drucker's assertion. And here is his quote from Drucker. You cannot manage other people unless you manage yourself first. I think those are words to live by. Jeremy Hunter, welcome to HR Trends. How are you today? Good
2: morning, Bonnie. How are you? I'm great. Wonderful.
0: Good. Talk to me. Interesting quote. and Drucker is part of your life now, part of what you do. So so tell us about why you picked the quote and how it has to do with the executive mind and our topic. Go ahead, Jeremy.
2: Sure. The idea that you can't manage other people unless you manage yourself first, I think, I think it seems like such an obvious statement. And yet, uh, if I look around at management education, we train managers to manage everything but themselves. Uh, you know, We train you to manage money. We train you to manage marketing campaigns. We train you to manage strategy but where do we give you a systematic training to manage your own mind? You know, how do I manage my body? How do I manage the physiological reactions I have uh, because there's uh, too much to do, right? And, and so we know that if a leader can't manage, for example, their own emotional reactions or their own stress reactions, that the people working for them uh, really suffer as a result, right? So I... I mm-hmm. I think I've come to realize over the course of my, my work that an organization feels the consciousness of a leader and because the leader is, is uh, kind of broadcasting what's going on inside the leader to, to everyone else. So uh, if we're not managing ourselves, then uh, we're not managing anything else very well.
0: And, Jeremy, would this apply, obviously, to anybody in the workforce? We have to manage ourselves, even if we're not in what we call a leadership role. We're not a boss. We're just all responsible for who we are and how we live and interact. Is that a pretty good broad brush statement?
2: Oh, absolutely. Right. We're all connected. So We're all connected. You know, the, the actions I take affect other people.
0: Interestingly enough, just a side note, I have my own uh, a personal radio show where I interview authors on Monday nights on a different channel. And last night I had the creator of the Bad Boss app, believe it or not. And <laughs> as silly as it sounds, and silly is a key word for my next guest, but don't get all excited there. Just well, hold on a second. Uh, Jeremy, th- this gentleman is a, a best-selling New York Times author and published, uh, published author, novelist, and nonfiction about war and military submarines. Very interesting guy. But the point is that he goes into neuroscience and talks about the neuron personality of the boss and the employees and how do you understand your boss's style better so you can survive. And the theme is... The workplace cost of bad bosses is something like $30 billion a year in the U.S. alone or $300 It's huge. So, yeah, very, very interesting. So we can talk more about But just coincidentally, I spoke with him last night. His name is Bill Reed. Let's get on with our panel here. Second up is Mark Lesser. He's the CEO, founder, and board member of, and he said, I could say it this way, silly.org. Those of you wondering, it's spelled a little differently. You don't want to get this one on a crossword puzzle. It's S-I-Y-L-I dot org. Mark is also the author of Know Yourself, Forget Yourself. Gotta hear about that one. And here is Mark's quote. There is scientific evidence that mindfulness practice can support leaders to cultivate more acceptance and openness and reduced fear, necessary ingredients in supporting innovation. Mark Lesser, welcome to HR Trends. How are you today?
3: I'm really doing great, Bonnie.
0: Thank you for it's joining me. So thank you. Talk to me about this quote and then I want to know a little bit about your book title. So go ahead. <laughs>
3: well, first I should probably say that SILI stands for Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, S-I-Y-L-I. And, uh, the, the quote is, um, um, talks, is aimed at the, um, the four essential pieces of the, uh, Search Inside Yourself program, which are mindfulness, leadership, Emotional intelligence and science, and we we say that all of our work is based on science, and uh, that uh, mindfulness practice now has become one of the most um, studied, scientifically studied um, uh, areas in in all of um in all of science right now. And it's based on the fact of neuroplasticity, which is a, a relatively new finding in science that the brain can change throughout one's lifetime and that the brain changes in part by by where we put our attention and that what we what we think and where we put our attention over and over again actually sculpts and changes our brain and this is where the practice of mindfulness comes in the practice of actually directing directing our attention training training the mind to be more calm more centered uh, more focused and these are all things i think that any uh, any Any leader or anybody at work could understand is the importance of the quality of one's attention, the ability to focus, the ability to expand one's awareness.
0: Very interesting, Mark. Uh, Going back to what Jeremy said about the executive mind, it would be great if more leaders understood that this is necessary, as you say in your quote, that this is something for which they need to allocate time and effort and put some passion behind it. And we know that's true. (laughs) Tell me quickly, Mark, about Know Yourself, Forget Yourself. What a provocative title. What's the book about?
3: Uh, The book is about... uh the importance of um, embracing the paradoxes in our life so one of the basic ones is know yourself and and the more you know yourself the more you can be um, less self-conscious more more free more nimble in your day-to-day life Uh, and one of my other favorite uh, paradoxes is be confident uh, question everything uh so so the idea is that we're not trying to shoot for the middle in these paradoxes, but we should be very, very confident and we should be really adept at questioning everything as, as an example of a way to practice with paradox.
0: I like it. I like it a lot. I'll try to ask more questions on the show today. Thank you, Mark. And now let's welcome our third panelist. It's Dr. Natalie Lotzman. She is an MD, works at SAP. We'll hear more about her later. But Natalie has taken a very interesting quote from one of Robert F., the late Robert F. Kennedy speeches at Kansas University, dating all the way back to March 18th, 1968. And she's adapted it to apply for our topic today. Natalie, I'm just going to read a little bit, and then I'll ask you to speak to it. Natalie says, financial reporting does not allow for the health and well-being of employees, the quality of their education, or the inspiration of their work. Financial reporting does not include the beauty of products, the simplicity of solutions, or the strengths of relationships, the intelligence of debate, or the integrity of leaders. It measures neither wit nor courage, neither the boldness of aspirations nor the joy of work. I'll stop there. Natalie Lotzman, welcome to HR Trends. How are you? I'm very well. (laughs) Thanks a lot for having me, Bonnie. Good morning. Good morning. Pleasure. And you're calling from Heidelberg,
4: Germany, I understand. What time of day it is there? It's a wonderful, beautiful day. It's already late afternoon here. Sun is shining. We have around uh, 77 degrees Fahrenheit, so everything is fine.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. And a shout-out to Bettina, who I know has been working with us to get you on the show. And Bettina, hello. And and, uh, Natalie, this is an interesting quote. When did you decide to adapt Robert Kennedy's this comment or this excerpt from his speech? And was it done just for the show, or do you use this in your teaching? Go ahead, Natalie.
4: Actually, I found this uh, this quote uh, several months ago in a report from, uh, from the World Economic uh, Forum, uh, where they really did a great work in uh, trying to measure human capital for the world. And this is one of the things that I'm very excited about for many, many years now, to make it possible to measure, to find metrics about human capital and social capital uh, within corporations as well. And uh, I found this, um, this quote because in original, um, Robert Kennedy was referring to uh, the gross national product. And mm-hmm. it is exactly the same words, almost exactly the same words. And it refers to, uh, to the fact that often we do not really measure what matters, but we measure things just because we can measure them. Mm-hmm. So as to quote another mm-hmm. great person like Albert Einstein, who yes. once said, it's um, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. And we're right in the middle of the, um, of the topic of health and well-being in corporations because everyone is so, it's so obvious to our minds and our hearts that it matters a lot to um, if people are really productive and if they, they are innovative. And if you ask leaders, and they often say, uh, well, people are our most valuable asset. But in the end, when you ask them, well, how valuable, how do you measure this in, in the end? It's, mm-hmm. In the best case, it's just that they smile, uh, but in the end, bottom line, it's not really measurements there. And I think to be really successful with all our efforts, we should link that to measurements in the end, because it's also fin- for financial analysts, in the end, it's important to see what is the human capital worth and not just financial numbers. Hmm. Very
0: well put, Natalie. And I want to ask you, you're, in your work on global health management for all of SAP, how does what you've just discussed, this adaptation of, of Robert Kennedy's speech, how does this relate to health at work? Tell us. Do, does does The employee base need to know that management cares about the values, about what really matters, rather than just reports and numbers and crunching and spreadsheets. What's the message here that comes back from what you've quoted, Natalie?
4: Well, the main message is exactly that: investment in health and well-being um, is one of the prerequisites for having a, a um, on a long-term uh, run having a workforce that is ready to, and prepared for taking the next steps to success. So people who embrace change, people who are agile, people who are really, really um, passionate about what they do. Uh, They're identified with the company and with their tasks and so on. And this is something that really pays off in the end. We all know that. But what we do not know, what exactly do employees need in terms of uh, at their workplace and how can you measure this and what are the uh, measurements in the end that derive from this insight and how are these insights linked to the bottom line results in the end for financial performance as well? Very interesting. I've heard somebody
0: commenting just by their movement of their lips in the background. Who wants to say something about Natalie's comments? Was that you, Mark, or Jeremy, or both?
2: Well, I'll, I'll jump in. This is Jeremy. You know, the, yes. um One of the models I use in in helping people understand what, what we mean when we're talking about uh, – Helping people manage themselves mm-hmm. is this kind of idea if you can imagine an, uh, an x y axis and a line pointing uh, up to the to the upper right hand corner you know, and, and stress and performance being uh, uh, performance being on the y axis stress being on the uh, on the x axis and i, I think so there 's this idea of if I do more, I get more done and mm-hmm. you know, to speak directly to, to natalie 's point, I think that for many of us for many corporations especially just tell you to work harder right we want we want you to just get more done and we have this idea that if i just keep working harder i'm going to get more done but the biological reality of that as as natalie's talking about is that that line isn't pointing you know to to the upper right hand corner infinitely that mm-hmm. at some point there's an inflection point and you and it starts to come back down so instead of a line pointing straight up to the to the upper right hand corner you get an inverted u so at the tipping point i so i can uh, so if i work hard and i make a lot of effort i can mm-hmm. perform but if i keep working hard and i don't take time to tend my health or rest or uh recharge myself then at some mm-hmm. point things will tip to the other side and, and uh, um, my health gets negatively impacted. Uh, and so part of where I think something like mindfulness practice is, is helpful is that it helps us to check into our body to say, okay, how am I doing, right? Am I energized and, and alive at this moment in what I'm doing mm-hmm. or am I tired or am I exhausted or am I burnt out and how, how do we sense that? And for many, many, you know, hard working people and, and people who like to work, uh, it's very difficult for them to sense that. Because uh because they you know, we, we get um, kind of trapped in a in a cycle of just making effort.
0: We do. We do. And that's the goal usually is, you know what? I'm going to gonna dial this back for a minute because we're already in the middle of our roundtable discussion. I haven't even finished the first segment because you're such interesting people. I don't want to stop you. But guess what? Let's let's do this the way we're supposed to do it. And I'm going to go back through the panel, first Jeremy, then Mark, and then Natalie, and ask you the most difficult question I'm going to ask you for the entire show. What's in your cup right now? What are you drinking or what do you wish you are drinking or what are you going to pour right after the show? So first, Jeremy Hunter. What's in the cup, or what do you wish? Go ahead, Jeremy.
2: <laughs> I have this uh, tea, which I, uh, I found on a trip to Helsinki um, called Happy Hour. And uh, there's a, a great little tea shop on the corner of, on a street called Demmer's Tea House. And it is, I think, originally Austrian but uh the person that owns it used to work for uh Nokia and and gave up that corporate life to open up a tea shop. And this tea shop I have to say is truly fantastic. The only problem is that this tea runs out and, and Helsinki's not anywhere near Los Angeles. So um, but I would I would definitely give my seal of approval to Happy Hour.
0: Well, that's very interesting. I'm a Nokia alumni myself, so I'm wondering who it is. You can tell me after the show who owns that. Very interesting. Thank you, Jeremy. And Mark Lesser, silly, silly org. Uh, Mark Lesser, what are you drinking?
3: Well, I just had my, uh, my morning smoothie that I have, uh, most, most weekday mornings as a way of, um, <clears throat> getting ready for my, my, uh, my work day. It's, um, contains, a. Uh, rice milk and blueberries and bananas and some flaxseed oil and um, uh i i really enjoy the um, the routine actually of having uh the same thing each morning and something uh something really healthy and it's also kind of my uh my transition point as i'm going from kind of a uh, planning for the day checking in with um checking in with the new york times and uh transitioning into looking at what needs to be happening at silly for the day
0: i think there's a billy joel song in there somewhere mark i just could hear it when you were saying it the new york times the daily news i promise i won't sing on the radio i tried that once not good natalie Lotzman
4: in heidelberg germany what are you drinking natalie Well, actually, I have brought an Ayurvedic habit uh, from India. Um, So I take a big glass and fill it half with cold water from the water dispenser and then fill the other half with hot tea water without tea. So not the other way around, by the way. If you try it, you know why. So my gourmet choice is have warm water. So try it. It's really delicious. So cheers to you. (laughs) Thank you very
0: much. And you know what? Before we go to break, cheers to you. And before we go to break, I have one question for my panel, and I promise we're going to take a break. My question is, do you call, what in my intro, do you call it work-life balance, work-life integration, or something else? What's your, how do you describe what we're trying to talk about on today's show? Jeremy Hunter, what do you call it, quickly?
2: Oh, good question. A, a, a perennial challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. You call it a perennial challenge, okay? Yeah. But what do what do you is it work life balance, work life integration? Is there another another phrase you would use with these words work life in it? What's your preference?
2: You know, I, I think about quality of life in general because work life assumes that work and life are two separate categories, and um, I don't I don't think it's a productive uh, it's a productive uh, uh,
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah. As you were speaking, I was thinking of work-life, work-life as, as work-life, work-life. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Mark Lesser, what's your preference? Work-life balance, integration, conundrum, uh, a perennial yeah. challenge? What do you think of it as?
3: I, I'm very clear on this point. I, I say forget work-life balance mm-hmm. and, and instead uh, bring each moment of your life alive. See how, see how alive each moment is, whether you're working or not at work.
0: Oh, I like that a lot. Natalie Lotzman, Dr. Lotzman, what do you say? <laughs>
4: Well, I couldn't agree more with, with Jeremy that the work-life concept is not a real good one because it implies kind of an opposite thing, as if work is not part of your life. Yeah. But on the other hand, we have tried some other things, but it re- doesn't really work. A lot of people really refer to the work-life concept, whatever. So right now we talk about work-life management and also about stress resilience and self-management. It's not the real best thing. So from our feelings, it's not 100% clear or or the best thing. But all the other alternatives that we have checked are not the way um, that we feel better about it. So we're still waiting for the the real good um, uh, idea about this.
0: Thank you very much. Okay, you've all earned a break. I'm going to give it to you. I'm Bonnie yeah. D. Graham. You're listening to Guess What? This is show number 13 in season two of our series called HR Trends with Game Changers. We're hoping to bring it back in a couple of months for season three. I'm working on that in the background. Topics have been great as evidenced by today's panel. I'm privileged to speak with Jeremy Hunter, PhD of The Executive Mind, Mark Lesser, CEO, founder, and everything else at Silly, dot and Natalie, Lotsman, Dr. Natalie Lotsman, MD at SAP. We'll be right back after the break. Our topic today is health and balance at work, nurturing the innovation mindset. You really don't want to miss this one, wherever you are in your organization. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out.
1: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network with companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today hr tactics must be comprehensive and precise Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to Bonnie.org. D. at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR trends with Game Changers
0: and I'm speaking today with Jeremy Hunter, PhD at The Executive Mind, Mark Lesser at Silly.org, and Natalie Lotzman at SAP. We're going to kick off our roundtable. I forgot to warn my panelists. This is 25 minutes nonstop. Put your seatbelts on. We're going to take a ride. We're going to have a very, very energized conversation. And I'm going to kick this off with Jeremy Hunter. And Jeremy, you sent me in your notes the following question, which is so provocative. We have to cover it. I think people will be asking this as they're listening to us, and the question is, why haven't we heard about mindfulness before? And isn't this just some wacky California fad? Have to ask that question. You put it on paper. I'm reading it. Jeremy, talk to me, Jeremy Hunter. Is it? Is it? Is it? Talk to us.
2: Sure. Uh, you know, as, uh, why haven't we heard about this before? Okay, so then I think we have to think about what, at least in the modern West, we have defined as education and i think that we've taken our uh, taken our cue from descartes who said you know i think therefore i am and je and pense largely, donc, je suis. yes yes and and as you know and largely in in the modern west for us education is about thinking right we think people who think well are smart as mark talked about earlier right one of the core aspects of mindfulness practice is a training of attention and in the modern West, largely we don't systematically train attention. We've assumed that people just have an attention span. And I think what we've experienced as a, as a culture globally over the, say, the, just the last 10 years alone with the, uh, you know, flourishing of all of these different technologies and, and, and different ways to, to be interrupted is that more and more people feel like their quality of attention is becoming frayed or mm-hmm. um, disintegrated in some ways. You know, I, I had somebody tell me the other day, you know, I can't really read stories anymore because I can't keep up with the narrative. I, I, I much prefer bullet points. Mm. So I, I have colleagues uh, at Claremont where I teach who say, you know, and literature colleagues that say, you know, I, I have students who can't read books anymore. So the idea of, uh, so what mindfulness is, is the idea that we can train attention to be of higher quality, which for us in, in the modern West is not really a, a, um, something that's happened very much before. You know, my, my half of my family is Japanese, and, and in Japan, the idea of training attention, it was kind of a starting point of education. Mm-hmm that if you didn't have strong, stable attention to keep you kind of grounded in the present, you really couldn't do much of anything else. And so, say, in Japanese culture, there are all of these different methods for training attention. They look like tea ceremony or flower arrangement or calligraphy or archery or sword play. And, uh, you know, on the outside, But, but what's really happening is that those are Kind of arenas or theaters or methods for helping somebody become more present.
0: Beautiful and, examples. Go ahead, Jeremy. And I want to I want to make sure that uh, Mark and Natalie jump in when you're you're done with your thoughts. So go ahead.
2: Sure. You know, and I teach at the at the Drucker School of Management, and Peter Drucker talked about the important that we've overeducated people in thinking, and we've undertrained them in being able to see and to perceive. And we tend to think of Rigor, if I talk to a group of lawyers, we, we, they tend to think of rigor as an intellectual quality, right? But I would argue that it's not just that. There's also perceptual rigor, and there's also emotional rigor, right? So how can I, how can I be sure that the world I'm seeing is the world that's actually there and not just the one that I want to see or that, that uh, uh, I'm biased to see, right? That's a lack of perceptual rigor. Uh, how do I manage my own emotional reactions? You know, we talked about earlier, right? The the person who can't ima- who can't manage their emotional reactions spread those emotions throughout their network, in in oftentimes destructive ways. That that's right. That's a lack of emotional rigor. Right. And so, oh. what mindfulness does is to enhance all of those qualities. You know, you become clearer. You become a clearer thinker. You become a clearer perceiver, and that you're able to manage your emotions more effectively.
0: Thank uh, you, Jeremy. Mark. Yeah. Father, Mark Lesser. To, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah I go ahead, to, Mark. To
3: ju- jump right in and address this this question that you asked about why haven't we heard of this with a, um, a quote from William James in uh, 1890, who said, uh, "And the faculty of voluntarily bringing back a wandering attention over and over again is the very root of judgment, character, and will. No one is master of himself if he have it not. And education." Which it improve this faculty would be the education par excellence, so um, this in fact is you know not, well, this is not a new idea in fact it 's an idea that has been around for thousands of years. The idea of mm-hmm. uh, mind training uh, uh, going going back literally thousands of years and then this is uh, William James from eighteen ninety really got the importance of uh, mindfulness practice of tra- training one 's mind. And I think also just kind of riffing off of what Jeremy was saying is that um, mindfulness practice—what um, what we find is it's it's the way to support one's emotional growth, one's emotional intelligence in in the workplace, which is really the the, the glue that keeps it all that keeps it all together in terms of people's uh, health, well-being, and performance.
0: Good points, Natalie Lotzman, I know you have a lot to say on this. Talk to
4: us, Natalie yes uh, uh, indeed, so the, I like the the concept of of perception of course beca- becoming more and more in the center of attention in general and and actually i I do not quite agree that it 's such a brand new thing i mean the 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 idea that perception is creating reality is not a new concept it's just kind of been ignored uh, for, by um, by corporations and by the business world for such a long time in the end it's it's all about perception it's uh, the perception of customers about the trust in the brand it's about about the ability of the of the products and solutions it's the trust of employees um, in in the company being an, an employer of choice it 's the trust of um, it 's the perception of trust uh, police have in their uh, supervisors or do not have it 's all about perception in the end, so the question is what is reality if it 's not about perception so it 's high time i don 't know if you say it in English like this so it 's really time that we look at the at perception as the center of everything. It's the center that in the end it creates people's minds, it creates people's well-being and health in the end and creates the bottom line of, of results, of business success because we need people, we need people who give their best. And when do they give their best? If they perceive that they are valued, that they are appreciated, that they are um, recognized, that they are treated fairly, that they have equal opportunities. All of that that we have been dealing with, in, with an HR for years, but mm-hmm. we have not really focused on the essence of it, which is perception. Uh, absolutely.
2: I think that's brilliant.
0: It is brilliant. That's why you're all on the panel today. Go ahead, Jeremy.
2: This idea that perception is the center of everything, right? How we see reality is what becomes our reality. And what most, you know, if I see, uh, you know, if I see doom and gloom in everything, then that's the world I'll live in. If I see opportunity, then that's the world I'll live in. And what most people don't receive is an education on how to consciously work with that, right? How do you start to consciously create your reality? Right? And, and that's, I think, one of the superpowers that mindfulness gives you. And it's not about, okay, if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think really hard and suddenly a, a Mercedes Benz is going to appear right in front of me. It's about understanding what are the assumptions or expectations or judgments or preconceived notions I'm bringing to a situation that might color how it turns out.
0: And that's, that's the secret, Jeremy. That was, that was the secret. Think about the Mercedes and it It shall appear in your driveway. Right. But I want to make a comment here, if I may, Jeremy, uh, just to interrupt briefly. Uh, I, I, my observation is that, we're finding out about mindfulness and the importance and, and understanding how our perception is, our reality, on so many different levels. We're finding it out in a remedial way, sometimes when it's too late, when we're older. And we didn't know we were supposed to learn this early, unlike some of the cultural things you mentioned, uh, the Japanese culture, where you're learning at least the focus and discipline. Any thoughts on that, Jeremy, before I take into it? We're going to go into another direction. But, Jeremy, you want to finish that thought?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, the five D's of, that wake us up to, hey, what, what have I been doing? Divorce, death, disaster, downsizing, and disease, right? And th- those when sometimes that, that's the only thing that will cue people to say, hey, wait, I have to take a look at my life in a different way.
0: Wow, those are five Ds I've never heard. I'm going to poke, poke them over here to uh, Mike. By the way, Mike Montalban is doing a fabulous job of tweeting the words of wisdom to for the, all of you who are saying on the air, and I'm just sending this note over to him so that he can capture this. We're tweeting, by the way, at hashtag SAP Radio, where we always have our Twitter party during the show. Thank you, Jeremy, and everyone. Now, I'm going to ask Mark Lesser to lead a conversation thread here, and I have something interesting here, Mark. Our topic today, as you all know, is health and balance at work, nurturing the... The Innovation Mindset. So I want to go in the direction of innovation, and I'm looking at a talking point you sent me, Mark, and it says, Neuroscience Data Shows That Mindfulness Practice Can Lead to Innovative Thinking Yes. That's the yes I want to know about. Mark, tell us about neuroscience data and how it links to innovation.
3: Yeah, and actually, I want to um, tie this to what Natalie and Jeremy were both just saying about, um, about, about perception. Um, and that uh some of the uh cutting edge neuroscience is showing that uh that mindfulness practice can uh lead to uh, change the perception that we have of ourselves and how we operate in the world it can help to uh reduce our stress to increase our happiness um, and even change the perception that we that we have about ourselves. I mean, so many people that I um, that I come into contact with in the business world have this. Um, their, their minds uh, minds are racing. There's this. Uh, you know, I often um, I'll sit down before someone, and they'll say to me, "I'm I'm going to have a horrific day." Um, they'll kind of look, mm. look at their, uh, look at their schedule, look at their to-do list, and this, uh, this perception of I'm going to have a horrific day. Well, this can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, right. so how can we, how can we change the mindset? How can we, how can we shift, um, from, uh, worrying, uh, ruminating about the, the past, worrying about the future to, to training our minds to be more in the present moment. What's what's happening, what's happening right now? So this is, the, uh, this is where the scientific evidence of, around mindfulness comes in is that we actually can, uh, in a relatively short time, there's been studies showing that 20 minutes a day over an eight-week period, and we can have pretty profound shifts in our ability to live uh, more in the present moment.
0: How much time was that? Mark? 20, 20 minutes 20 a day? 20
3: minutes a day for eight weeks.
0: That's not so bad. That's not bad at all. Not so bad, no. Let's <laughs> sign up. Let's sign up. Natalie Lutzman talk about this neuroscience approach that Mark has described to us. What is your experience or your thoughts on this, please?
4: Well, fully agree. There's, there's not much time investment that an individual needs to to improve on on, on self-perception and also about um, uh, self-leadership, which is which is the essence in the end, and refers also to a quote that was done before. I would love to link the whole um, discussion that we have done so far to very tangible things that we can do within organizations on that. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's the time to raise the question on responsibility. So who is responsible? Who is responsible for perception? Who is responsible for health? Who is responsible on on well-being? And the answer is, of course, like always, it depends, and it depends on the perspective. So, of course, every individual is responsible for his or her perception, for his or her health, and also for his and her well-being. But an organization is responsible for the general conditions, the framework, the the surroundings, and in the end, the culture that is provided, the culture that encourages and enables the individual to take responsibility for his and herself, to do things, to to care for for yourself, and to invest, to invest in your own growth and in your own well-being. And this is when we when we agree on this part then it's not far to what really we should do as an organization what we should provide for people um, to encourage them to invest in their profession not only in their professional knowledge but also in personal growth but because this is what the whole thing is about in the end let people grow and let them belong which is the whole the two major um, major needs and longings that people have is of it, its growth and belonging mm-hmm. And also, it's about um, um, teaching them that the two two most powerful questions in the end is to ask yourself every day, whatever you do, have in mind to ask the question, what does really matter about what Mm -hmm. I'm doing? And the second question is,
0: when is enough enough?
4: And those two questions directly refer to what we have done before. This is something you can do in teachings. But this is something that really changes mindset within people, but also within the organization. When you, when you can put that into the DNA of an organization, being more aware about yourself, but also, also with each other and, uh, with a systemic approach about teams and organization structures and so on. So we need Natalie. a new way to define health in a holistic way. We do.
0: And, and Natalie, interesting that I had just highlighted that, your topic number two in your notes. I just highlighted that to go into our third conversation thread and you preempted me perfectly. Thank you for that very seamless segue. My question for you, Natalie, is, is there any way to know at the hiring process? And I know we haven't, we're not going back that far. We're talking about people already in the organization. But in the hiring process, is there any way to know to ask a question? Do you understand what mindfulness is? Do you know how your perceptions of the world are going to color and flavor and tint and tone your experience in this company? Do you understand that the mood you bring to work and your attitude is going to impact not only your superiors, people above you, your colleagues and peers at this level, and somebody who might end up reporting to you. Can you say that to somebody at the point of (laughs) hiring Natalie? I know it's wishful thinking but (laughs) wouldn't that make life so much different and better in the corporate world? Talk to me Natalie and then I want everybody else to talk. Natalie, what do you think? Am I a dreamer? I'm a dreamer.
4: It's a great question. It really comes to the essence. What we, in the end, of course, it's about selecting the right people, and how to approach this. You can ask, of course, but if you get the right answers, it's another question. In the end, it's about getting a feeling about people and their maturity about things, and. uh, It refers to your own maturity. It refers to your own um, sensibility of of, um, how you perceive yourself. The better you are in this, the more aware you are, the more aware you are also uh, in uh, in, in the perception of others and also in trusting your gut feeling. So, yes, there are are ways that in the end we also need to change the way that we look at people when we when when it comes to hiring um, and um, um, to, and also to when when it comes to development in the end so these are great questions and and um, I don't think there's a there's a um, uh, one uh, fits all uh, answer to it but if the the uh, inqu- the um, the person that is hiring has uh, a sensibility in this part, um, then it's much more likely that this person filters the right people for the right job than a person who is not aware about it her- or herself. Wonderful.
0: Thank you for indulging my question. I can't wait to hear what Mark and Jeremy have to say on that <laughs> yes. point. Go ahead. Who wants to speak? Yes,
3: yes. To, to me, this is Mark, the, um, the, the underlying question that, that I find in, uh, in hiring and in bringing in Uh, new people to any organization is how self-aware is this person? What is this person's level of self-awareness? And do they have an interest and ability to increase their own self-awareness? Is this, do they, do they have this perception and this understanding that their self-awareness matters A- and and part of part of self-awareness is are they also able to be good listeners um, mm-hmm. are they o- are they open to new ideas do they really hear what someone else is saying or are they constantly just running their their own tape um, and putting putting that out so I think that um, uh I, I think to me the two underlying questions are uh, one is uh, how self-aware is this person and two mm-hmm. uh, are they moving toward uh from me to we do they are they really interested in making improving this organization and improving the world are they are they ultimately someone who is has a uh, a compassion mindset a mindset of wanting to help of wanting to heal of wanting to make the world a better place
0: wonderful jeremy hunter what do you think yeah i one of the
2: words that natalie mentioned that really kind of uh moved the needle it was responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a world where each of us now has access to so much information and and are interconnected so deeply, right? One rogue trader can uh sink a firm that's a hundred years old, right, for example. The idea of being responsible for yourself, I think, is uh something that we need to kind of set a new tone about, and that, you know, a person is responsible for managing themselves effectively because they're contributing to a team, and that people are depending on them, their customers are depending on them, their bosses are depending on them. And so this idea that you are now responsible for your own growth and development, I think is perhaps a new ethic that we can foster, Right, that if you are not growing and developing yourself to increase your capacity to make mm-hmm. different kinds of choices, make better kinds of choices, or to see the world in a broader way, then you're not adding value not only to yourself or or to the organization. Uh, so I think that in a time when we are living with so many unprecedented challenges economically, ecologically, socially, We need to be able, we are now responsible to expand our capacity to be able to do things that we were not able to do before.
0: Thank you, Jeremy. And Mark, we're just about at the edge of a break, but I want to ask you to bring in some examples. You sent me notes about what Google is doing in terms of leveraging mindfulness practice. I'd just like to give you to give us one minute so that our listeners understand this is real. It is tangible. It can be taught. It can be shared. It can be effective. So Mark Lesser, why don't you give us just a couple of quick examples from your notes and then we'll go to break, please
3: yeah I mean you mentioned google I'll take that up that they um have yeah. introduced a a program uh worldwide uh to their um, more than forty thousand employees called Pause, and um this is a way to remind people uh to to stop and check in with themselves during the day uh and they are um putting uh making it easy for people to do meditation as part of their uh, daily work practice by having um, places throughout their campuses for people to stop and uh, to stop to pause to check in with themselves, uh, right in the midst of their busy work lives.
0: Wow, that sounds like a good respite from work and and a good thing to do. What about Jeff Weiner at LinkedIn? Uh, what is he doing about that?
3: Well, Jeff is a um, has come out has come out as a long term meditator and is very openly talking about the uh, the importance. Uh, the necessity of a workplace that uh, embraces wisdom and compassion. I mean, pretty amazing for a, uh, a CEO of a publicly traded company to use to be using uh, such language. Um, but it's, to me, it's um, long, long, long overdue. Uh, I, I call it the, um, the the dirty little secret of the business world <laughs> is that we're all human beings.
0: Oh that's my a, goodness. What a, I won't say perish the thought. I'm saying what a thought. Guess what, Mark? Thank you so much. Elegantly took us right up to the break. I'm talking to Jeremy Hunter. I'm talking to Mark Lesser and Natalie Lotzman. And we're having a great conversation. I, I'm sorry we only have an hour. This certainly has a lot more places to go. We're going to take a break. I'm going to let my panelists go out. Here's your assignment. Go out and find the crystal ball. I don't know if it's where is it Natalie in the garage or the attic. I don't know what you have there in Heidelberg (laughs) and Mark and Jeremy find it. I don't know if it's Steuben glass. I certainly assume it is and whatever it is when we come back we'll talk about blue skies or cloudy skies on the horizon for mindfulness in the workplace and nurturing the innovation mindset in the future. We'll fast forward to the year 2020. That's my favorite new year. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to HR Trends with Game We'll be right back for the predictions round. Yes, certainly don't want to miss this one. We'll be right back. Over and out, Brad.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to Bonnie.org. D. at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR trends with Game Changers.
0: Here we are, talking about Descartes, je pense donc je suis. I certainly am. That's as mindful as I can be. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, speaking with Jeremy Hunter, Mark Lesser, and Natalie Lotzman. And we are now in our, let's see, we've got exactly eight minutes left. I'm going to divide and conquer. So it's time for predictions. Jeremy Hunter, fast forward, please, to 2020. What will we be talking about in terms of... Mindfulness in terms of health and balance at work, in life, and the innovation mindset. I'm going to give you exactly two minutes on the clock to give us your wrap up and your prediction. Go ahead, Jeremy Hunter, please.
2: Uh, it's a good question. You know, when you're spending part of most of your life trying to be present, thinking about the future is always a challenge. The, <laughs> Sorry. Um, 2020. Okay, let's see what could be happening. One is, I'm sure there will be development of technologies that will help us sculpt the brain more uh, consciously and effectively. Uh, in fact, that's, that's already starting to happen now. I think that the idea of, you know, probably, you know, as we've kind of discussed before, the idea of work-life balance will be considered kind of an anachronism, and that we pay much closer attention to the entire flow of life, um, that I, I think that, you know, Work and 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 home are at this point uh, kind of inextricably interlinked, and you might even start to see uh, social movements ab- around attention rights. I, that's one kind of dystopic fantasy I, I have: that uh, the idea that you. Are you should have the capacity to control your own attention and to have space in your life uh, Maybe, may, may become a civil rights issue. I, I don't know. Uh, I think that the idea – I think that learning how to ad- – given, say, in 2020, in terms of what we know or what we think is going to be – the world is going to be like in terms of climate change, the idea of training your brain to become much more adaptable will be um, – a kind of foregone conclusion. Uh, so I think that it is, in, it will become a time of, of human empowerment uh, in order to effectively face the, you know, the challenges that we know are on their way.
0: Thank you very much. I'm going to interject something here, just a little trivia fact. Ariana Huffington of the Huffington Post Media Group recently held her, third metric conference, the third one, I think it was. Her living room was too small because it was so popular. She went to a big conference place. But one of her speakers was Mark Bertolini, who is the CEO of Aetna Insurance. And he was talking about employee well-being in the bottom line. I'm just going to interject this. He said, since 2010, we've in essence been down almost 8% in health care costs as a company by focusing on our employees. That's a message for the whole country. If we work on reducing stress, making sure people take care of themselves, giving them the time to do it. It's an opportunity to bend the curve and reduce the impact of health care costs on our nation's deficit. So there, just wanted to throw that in, show you that I read a lot. There you go, (laughs) in between radio shows. Thank you, Jeremy. Mark Lesser, you are up. It's your turn. What are your predictions, Mark? I'll give you two minutes. Go ahead.
3: Um, My 2020 prediction is that mindfulness meditation training will be um, just part of all all leadership training uh, throughout the world uh, that not only i mean we're seeing we're already seeing huge interest worldwide in people getting and becoming more and more uh, passionate about the importance of uh training the mind and mm-hmm. that um, this will be um, in, in all, virtually in all, in all business schools. But there will be programs within all major organizations that are uh, teaching uh, mindfulness-based uh, meditation, as well as um, um, emotional intelligence. And there'll be
0: mm-hmm.
3: more and more talk of words like wisdom and compassion in the
0: workplace. I like that a lot, wisdom and compassion. Dr. Natalie Lassam, we've got plenty of time for you. Take a full two minutes, Natalie. And by the way, Natalie is the Vice President of Human Resources at SAP, and she heads the corporate health management globally since 2012. Big job, a lot of people. So, Natalie, predictions. I'll give you two minutes. Please go ahead.
4: Oh, Bonnie, I see a real sunny future for our topic in the end because in the upcoming years I expect that more and more organizations will be drawing the line between a culture of health, well-being, and mindfulness and their bottom line results. And we will see an increasing pressure as well from analysts and the markets to prove our efforts in treating um, and supporting people well and to help them grow personally while achieving maximum economic success. It's a matter of, of social and people sustainability in the end. And in five to ten years, I am convinced there will be a standard um, of measuring human capital and social capital in corporations as a means to value the innovative power of the workforce. This is something that will be demanded from the market as well.
0: Very interesting. Thank you, Natalie. I have um, let's see. I have two minutes to close, and I only need about thirty-five seconds. Well, I'll take a minute today because it's the last last show of the series. But I'm going to go back very quickly. I'll give you each a ten-second answer. Let's start with Jeremy Hunter. Who should be the head of HR in companies in 10 years? Would it be somebody who has studied mindfulness now? Would it be somebody who is a millennial? Who do you see should lead the charge or be, be the inheritor of what we're talking about today? Jeremy, quickly, who would that person be? And then Mark and Natalie, 10 seconds each, go.
2: Well, I think that uh, somebody who sees human resources as a developable, growable, uh, cultivatable phenomena.
0: Mm, I like that, Mark Lesser. Your thoughts? Who should inherit the mantle or take over the whole HR landscape and do it according to what we're talking about—mindfulness, innovation mindset, health in the workplace? Mark Lesser. Yes,
3: yeah, someone who really embodies uh, kind of vision and purpose and has the ability to um, in- inspire people to be their best selves.
0: Oh, I love the inspire word. Great. And Natalie Latzman, what do you see quickly?
4: I would say that at the, to- the top of the whole topic should be someone who is responsible for cooperation in the end and who should head processes and structures and people as well. So someone who has a really hol- a hol- holistic view and a systemic a view on on um, structures, um, processes, and people, and uh, to to really have the this insight. So someone who is mindful with him or herself and with others as well. And this will be definitely the future and a great future for the company who achieves this first. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Natalie. Guess what? It's Bonnie's turn for predictions, and I'm going to predict tomorrow. I'll be right here at 11 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel hosting Coffee Break with Game Changers. And guess what our topic is tomorrow? Critical thinking, part two. Uh Critical thinking, and it's going to be to tell the truth. That's my subtitle. Thank you today to Dr. Jeremy Hunter, to Mark Lesser to Dr. Natalie Lotzman and Bettina. I know you're listening. Thanks for helping getting Natalie prepared. Mike Montalban has outdone himself as a tweeter, as a co-producer on this series. I'm almost in tears. Great getting to know you, Mike. Shout out to Carolyn Cahot at SAP for sponsoring Season 2 of HR Trends. Brad and the Business Channel team, of course, you do a great job. Thanks for getting us on the air. We're going to try and get HR Trends into Season 3. I'm working on it right now. We have a lot new series starting in the fall, so stick around. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. You know what it is fasten your seatbelt what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today signing off for the last edition of season two of hr trends talk to you tomorrow on coffee break with game changers brad out
1: thanks again for tuning in to hr trends with game changers presented by sap the best run businesses run sap To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.